When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As the Salal Station men continue to thaw, Danvers and Navarro go through the massive amount of evidence recovered last episode from Clark's trailer of love. They find some photographic clues that eventually lead them to a mysterious ninth Salal employee, Oliver Tagak, who left the facility right before Annie Kay's murder. Following up with him, he seems shocked and then angry upon finding out the scientists are all dead and orders them to leave. Meanwhile, Pete tries to get to the bottom of the Wheeler case and Danvers and Navarro is falling out, but gets conflicting information. Finally, Salal director Lund wakes from his coma, repeats Clark's obsession with a she who is now awake, before giving Navarro a creepy message from her dead mother, then finally convulsing to an apparent death. From the dusty mesa, her looming shadow Welcome to The World We Deserve, the officially unofficial podcast for True Detective on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking Season 4, Episode 3, It's Night Country Part 3. Uh, Aaron, you want to tell us what happened this episode? So, if we want to start with the mystery, a lot of stuff happened this episode, but I don't feel like we have a ton more information to go on. I know we have the stuff about Annie and Ray and hiding their relationship all right, before we get into the mystery, talking about all the new clues we have, there are apparently some clues that are dropping about the schedule of this show over on IMDb, little-known uh, movie database platform. Aaron, what's what's going on here? Yeah, this has been speculated in the last week or so because previous seasons of True Detective have had their schedule kind of juked to work around the, the Super Bowl schedule. Last year, we had with uh, The Last of Us, they released uh the the episode on friday night to kind of like make way for the the nfl uh, apparently they're just going to delay it for a season i didn't see any big outlets reporting on this it was kind of like tertiary secondary outlets but as of now uh the inter- the imdb schedule has shown that episode five so episode four the next one's going to happen as planned and then episode five uh, will delay a week. It's going to go off the air for the week of the Super Bowl, and then you know resume. I think the 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 the, the night of the 18th, and we'll probably finish up then. I think on the 24th or 25th. So everything's just going to be shifted a week later than we thought um, after the Super Bowl. Yeah, works out super well for us actually because we were both kind of dreading that one. I think we were going to have to miss it anyway. So perfect. Yeah, that actually works out nice. And if if uh, turns out that the information's incorrect and it's corrected later, we'll we'll roll with it. But so far, that's yeah. what I understand is going to happen. Okay. Uh, so you want to talk about the mystery now? Yeah. Uh, what the uh, big big pile of evidence from Clark's uh, cabin? Mm-hmm. Only and three th- photographs were worth a damn. Apparently, <laughs> so far they've only connected the dots on three. Uh, <laughs> And and there seems like there's a lot there for sure, uh, but I don't know that we get a whole bunch of new connections this episode. You get the hairdresser, right? The well, I don't know if she's licensed, but she's doing it. 
and she's in her kitchen. And apparently she called in the Annie Kay stuff and we now find out that, you know, Hank's covering stuff up, which I think is interesting. Um, but we find out that, you know, she was with them a lot. She, she knew Ray, um, she knew that they were both together and that's something that they were trying to hide, which I think is super interesting. Why try yeah. to hide it? I think that's the right question. Yeah. Why try to hide it? Um, because it's like, some you know, ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, well, I, 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 not only that, but I think that you're, the D or let me ask you this. Did you find it mysterious to circumstances of them meeting? The fact that this lady goes out to the slaw station and it's her routine to give the men out there haircuts. Maybe they get a group rate, or maybe maybe it's an in call, so it's even more expensive. I don't know, uh-huh. but uh, Annie just out of the blue wants to tag along. Once she hits it off with the weirdest, most reclusive member, they have this like torrid love affair, and what that mm-hmm. that she wants hidden. That's yeah. the key thing that she is the one that's that is is behind the like wanting to keep it secret. It seems and like. that's unusual for her too, according to gets, her friend. Y- yeah, gets murdered and then yeah, because like also it's like I don't know how seriously we're supposed to take Hanks like just being an asshole, but he asserts that she had slept with a lot of people that uh, which might be the case, sure. and that's kind of makes sense in in what her beautician friend was saying. So like, is there? And chance that Annie was infiltrating Salal as some kind of in some kind of activist role, like she's on a deep undercover agent. Yeah. This is the best theory that I've seen on that. The thing that kind of explains a lot of what's going on here, if if it's yeah. true. Um, yeah, the the idea that she would be obsessed with going out to this research station as an activist, she probably thinks there's somebody out there that she could influence to get perhaps confirmation on what she suspects that the water is bad because of the mine. Um, that would make a lot of sense. And she, you know, intentionally goes out there to hit it off with this guy and then wants to keep it a secret because if that's known, a it's dangerous, right? Cause the people at the mine might not want her getting right. professional help and proving this, but B yeah. she might not want that coming back as like, Oh, really? The guy who says that this is that we're poisoning the mind is actually sleeping with you. What a convenience, you know? Yeah. Um, it could it could you know degrade? I guess the authenticity of her claims. It does make a lot of sense. It is mm-hmm. like, and I also it's like you know when you go to the rally, it's like they it didn't seem like they have an army of like scientists and EPA researchers and stuff to kind of so and and the village sure. is probably poor, can't afford to get experts in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the they're EPA remote. doesn't care. They're remote. It's hard to do that. So, like, hey, we have some environmental scientists. Let's. It's a long way because, like, it seems like this relationship uh, began in 2016, right? Uh, at least uh, at the latest, yeah. Um. Or no, I guess at the earliest. What does that shirt prove? <laughs> That's what I was saying, too. She's she has like, well, a shirt from 2016 or later. Yeah, it can't come before then. It can't come before then. Right. But she also was murdered six years ago. So this is a very this is kind of a short term affair. So maybe this is like a summer thing that she was trying to do to infiltrate. And then she got eaten by a polar bear. I mean, that's totally possible. I, I think the ice cave stuff, yeah. um, it, you know, let's say that 
Ray said, okay, we need to we need to find something in particular to prove that this is the case, that they're poisoning the water. Um, yeah. And she went looking for it down in some ice caves. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. But yeah, you could, you could imagine that if it's not like, oh, they found the polar bear's nest, right? They don't, they don't need to find it like where it's hibernating or anything. Uh-huh. It could just be it followed her down into these caves um, and killed her. But that doesn't make sense with the star-shaped stuff that we the the wounds on her body. So I gotta say this other thing too is that it, another neat explanation is she doesn't want people to know she's dating a white boy, a white European uh-huh. man, because be. there would be severe social disappropriation of that. Like I I understand that like Pete's wife is a. Uh, a native woman and she's married and it doesn't seem like there's a big stink about it but like annie definitely feels like she uh, is kind of centered herself of try- around trying to like preserve the old ways and the traditional birthing centers and the tattoos mm-hmm. and yeah and the more involved you are that the more maybe the feeling of like oh god but i'm i'm in love with a white boy mm-hmm. um we saw that tension in like killers of the flower moon it seems like there's got to be you know some kind of mixed feelings amongst indigenous people when they've already had so many of their uh, traditional ways, like actively repressed, outlawed, you know, genocided out um, that like, oh man, what little that we have continues to be diluted. Mm-hmm. Like I'd, that's crazy with the year a white person in America say that their blood's being diluted because they're still the majority. And you know, there's also <laughs> like a whole continent full of white people and they're also the most power, you know, have some of the most powerful country in the world. But like, yeah, native Americans be like, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It feels like those things are slipping away even further. Yeah. That, that, that'd make a lot of sense. Yeah. I really want to know what Oliver has to say about Raymond. Cause potentially he would have been there at the same time that Annie and Ray were dating, right? If he left just before Annie disappeared, then almost certainly yeah. he would be. I don't know if he knew or was involved, but he would almost certainly be there at the same time that Annie and Clark were dating. Yeah, he might at least give us a little more insight into that first meeting between them. And and potentially we could glean something from that. But uh, yeah, I'm super curious if if we ever go back to him. He seemed pretty hostile. Yeah. What do you think about the other thing that I thought was that my ears perked up is like, okay, so she kind of initiated in a very weird, odd way. Uh, they had an immediate hit off his obsession with her tattoo. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like he really connected with that. And, you know, beyond like, oh man, a hot tribal tattoo. He, it, he said it was, obs- he was obsessed with it. Right. That was the, what I put in my notes here. Yeah. Fixated. fixated. He is mm-hmm. fixated on it. She was obsessed uh, yeah. with visiting the station with her. He was fixated on our tattoo. So it's like a mutual kind of, uh, you know, intense attraction there. Yeah. And it was interesting to me the way that Annie kind of discovered, or I guess, I don't know if discovered is the right word, but this tattoo, this sign, um, she dreamt it in high school a bunch and as soon as she oh, got boy, the tattoo, yeah. the dream stopped. Um, it, it's almost like it, it's an evil trying to manifest itself into the world, you know? Yeah. And once it does that, once it accomplishes that goal, it's it doesn't need to haunt the person. It's now got its foothold. Yeah, I can go That's haunt That's the vibe I'm getting. 
It's like the videotape from the ring, but it's trying to make itself. You know, it's like first uh-huh. copies itself to someone's brain, and then the filmmaker has to get it on the film, and then then it's believes. Yeah, yeah, Something and then whoever watches it or whoever's you know stamped with this goes out and stamps other people with it. Right? It's well, and it also fits in with what Rose said about ghosts. You know, there's some that you know won't leave you alone until they've said what you know said what they've said, or they need something. And this kind of fits a profile of a ghost that's kind of tormenting someone until they do what they want. But like, yeah, why is what they want putting a spiral on their body? Yeah, what does it mean? You know, we still don't know what the spiral means. Yeah. Right now, it's just a symbol that keeps popping up everywhere. Um, uh, the uh, the other thing that came out of this scene was the hairdresser uh, was also dating this mysterious ninth employee of the Slal station. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Liz is kind of upset that obviously she didn't say more about this at the time because she was afraid and she was afraid of reprisals. But she pointed out, like, I did actually tell the police all this. And they don't actually quite say it, but, like, from the connection, it makes it clear that Hank is the one that personally had this information and just chose to sit on it. Yeah. Totally. Didn't Huge report lead. the call at all. Yeah. Huge lead. Um, which Hank is, uh, you know, and Navarro's pissed about this. Um, Hank has also been acting in more of insubordinate ways. He's leading a search party with non-police uh, forces. He intimates that he would just assume these people be executed. This guy could be executed rather than being taken alive for questioning. Mm-hmm. A lot more traction in the Hank is dirty uh, Hank is concealing camp. Uh, I thought they were reaching yeah. up until this week. Now I think maybe they got a stepladder out. They're not reaching no more. They're just comfortably grabbing that theory off of a low shelf. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't I don't buy his reasoning for not reporting the Annie call. I mean, okay, maybe it's not useful because, you know, whatever, whatever, but you got to report it. It's a call that came in with claims on the case report it man mm-hmm. but he doesn't do that yeah that's clearly cover up something and and it's wild and navarro just swings all the way to like oh this is a, this like she goes right back to like this is this is almost an annie k murder uh and hank is did like she's gone all the way back six years to solve this and and danvers is like okay sure but how does this involve eight dudes at a research station why do mm-hmm. these guys go dan and not like you know why did they freeze it's like yeah, maybe this has something to do with Andy K, but it's not doesn't fit. And we know they're connected too. Like you're 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 fixating a Hank when we found her tongue at the research station. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting how quick it seems Navarro wants to go back to that case. You know, polar bear tore her tongue out. It stayed in the ice caves, frozen for six years. For some reason, Clark was down there investigating something. Found the tongue five days ago and that's why it's still there yeah i don't know it, this 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 exchange too is kind of like positions um you know you've got the god damn it, it's lock and who from uh jack jack Always jack, jack. And so liz is definitely the jack in this relationship because she's you know they even talk about how this isn't your chumba chupa loomba or <laughs> yeah whatever Oompa Chumpa. I forget exactly Are what you're trying to say. The... Chupacabra? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to say what Liz was trying to say when she was trying uh-huh. to say Chupacabra. And, uh, you know, Liz is pushing back against that. It's like there is a rational explanation. She's on Team Rational. There is a rational explanation for this. Yeah. 
which I, th- I think there uh, very well could be. Um, you know, everything we've seen, I think, could be explained by not even necessarily shared hallucinations, except maybe for the scientist. But yeah, some some kind of hallucination. There's getting to be a lot that's hard to explain, like the massive pressure change, the sudden freezing, uh, the tearing their eyes out, the tearing their eyes. Yeah, it's like there's the there's there's a lot I can uh, I can hallucinate away people sitting up in their bed and ghost boys on the tundra and oranges being thrown around. But the circumstance of these guys death, like I am really interested in hearing like what is a plausible, rational explanation for that. Yeah, Uh, me too. But weird shit happens all the time, you know. Uh, especially in places where human beings haven't really lived. Well, no, that's not true. I guess the Inuit have been up there all the time, and uh, they say it's loaded with ghosts and creatures. So maybe they're right. You know, fuck. We we, I, we we would white white men haven't lived up there very long. They'd be I'm the experts. Looking at uh, kind of, I guess it's mostly Liz who assesses Clark as this weirdo, and I know he became a weirdo. But she seems to like think that he was always a weirdo, that Annie like got with him and he was super weird. But when they're talking about the hairdresser, she's like, no, nah, he wasn't. He wasn't weird necessarily. He was, weird, he was quiet, but, like, but not in a creepy way. Like, I'm weird. Right. I think you're weird. Uh, a lot of weird people in the bald move audience. But no, I wouldn't say that they were like threatened, like not dateable or threatening or yeah, to call him a total weirdo and a creep. I Yeah. Sure, maybe later, and maybe with the animal bones and the the dolls and the trailer. Post yes. his girlfriend's death, yeah, he went a little off the the deep end. Um, right. But the other thing is, like, she also mentioned that he's crazy about her, which I always, especially when you hear in a murder investigation, I'm always like, yeah, dudes murder women all the time because they're crazy about them. That's mm-hmm. like they'll they'll tell you, like, we're it's 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 a dangerous situation that way. Um, yeah, you know, thin line, love and hate, and uh, men are kind or of apex if, predators in this situation. If I can have so. you, no one else can. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like being crazy about someone is not necessarily an emotional state that you want to <laughs> encourage. Um, no. So yeah, no. it's uh, there. There's always in the back of my mind. It's like you know, anytime you you there's in, there's intimate partner violence. Uh, you know, or anytime there's a there's a person gone missing, it's it's almost always the the people close to them. And the only reason this guy wasn't government suspect number one was because no one knew that they were seeing each other. So yeah, that's the thing. I the the best theory I've heard this week is that there was um, an attempt by Annie to get one of the scientists to help her prove that the mining facility was uh, polluting the water, destroying the town. Uh, but I don't have a ton of other stuff. Like I said, I don't think there were a ton of new clues to go on here. Um, you know, we already, I, I mean, the ice caves is interesting, but that that's just a setting. There's nothing that tells us, there's nothing that connects that to anything else yet. Right. Uh, so they have a problem because they're, you know, uh, Ennis doesn't have a fully formed forensic team. They're flying in a forensic technician, but he's not going to make the deadline before these men thaw out. You know, there's hardly any block of ice left them together. They're just flaccid bodies lying on a hockey rink at this point. So in desperation, Liz agrees to have Pete's cousin, who's a veterinarian, uh, come in and take a look at the bodies. 
And this is where we get the like, I don't think, I think they died before they froze because freezing is at the end of the biological process, a very peaceful thing. You wouldn't be frozen into some kind of grimace of fear or whatnot. Uh, Unless you're flash frozen by an Arctic blast. I don't know. So, by a someone in feedback of did Dew. the math. Did the math on like <laughs> what kind of atmosphere required. pressure drop would require that kind of uh, instant freezing thing, and it's uh, it's interesting. We'll get there yeah. in the psychosphere section, but um, yeah, the fact that he's seen caribou die of plane fright. I think that's what we saw in the beginning. I guess mm-hmm. you know. Um, and here's the thing: Do you think Liz? Was seriously suggesting that he do a little bit of an autopsy here. Yeah, I think she was floating the idea, and if nobody objected, she would have let it happen. I think she was playing one, pulling, pulling a play out of the creepy guy's playbook of mm-hmm. doing something sexually suggestive, and like, oh, I'm just joking. And yeah. unless you're going to do it, and then right. yeah, it's like that's like yeah, this is obviously a legal thing. But you know, if you're willing to do it, have you haven't you ever wanted to cut on a human body? Come on, come on, we're going through. <laughs> animal medical school and you're dissecting the cows you, you wanted to you wanted to go in on a person right here's eight of them well yeah. i got seven six six town mm-hmm. yeah i thought so too i thought if if pete hadn't been shocked and uh, the guy looked like he was going to lose his license uh that would have happened uh so the next uh the, they also we we also again got this uh lead on this oliver de gak de gak uh, turns out he, after Salal, went into a nomadic kind of life, and there's these nomad camps where people are just tinting out on the ice, very few permanent structures, uh, lots of generators, and uh, Navarro is able to track him down through her Cabot connection. Um, and I love how he greets them. He's like one of those ancient Stark kings with a sword on his lap to to greet an enemy. Like they bust in a door, yeah. and he's got his gun there, and like you got a warrant because if not, I'm gonna blow your heads clean off. Mm-hmm. And their response is, "This your land? Does it matter?" Mm-hmm. I <laughs> think it's like he's saying, "Splattered. It's not gonna matter, lady." I think he's saying, "Yes, it is. Yeah, you can go down and, and check." But it is weird I back and forth saying... between both of them. Yeah, I think he's threatening her. Like, no, this is not oh, my yeah. land, but if you want to come over here and try uh, and check whether it is, we're going to have a problem. I see. Because, I mean, how could I, it be his land? I mean, I guess he could yeah. have bought it, but... Uh, this guy is probably genuinely like, what the fuck are you here for? Um, oh, yeah. Because there's like, well, we can always just arrest you. And he's like, for what? And then when they mentioned the Salal station, I think they thought that was going to bing. You know, he's going to be like, bing. Mm-hmm. He's gonna get a reaction, but the reaction. It well, did. how would you describe his reaction? Um, confusion, uh, surprise, confusion, and sadness initially, and then it turns into hostility, and I, I don't know why. It could just be that he's processing and he's hurt by it, and he doesn't want to deal with them right now. So get out of here. Or it could be he's connected some kind of dot. And this has all made sense to him now, and he does not want to talk about it. Mm. Do you? Um, where did? Because I was, I, I, I rewatched his reaction several times. I rewatched a lot of reactions mm-hmm. in this episode because there's a <laughs> lot of like subtle things happening. I, I wasn't sure if I found any actual sadness. I definitely saw the shock and the confusion and the anger. Yeah. But That's like, I don't know. Like, does he? Did did he, did he love these men, or were these men doing something? 
that he found important or was you know like i I don't know like the the reaction he had is almost like these guys were doing something that he would like them to continue doing and now that they're gone it's a situation but that might be me presupposing a lot about bacterial containment and you know uh do you think he was working with annie in some kind of like way to don't know sabotage their research or to use their research for the benefit of the anti-mining thing or don't really know uh there just isn't anything to go on yet you know other than the way he reacts to i know the news of the deaths um i i really want them to go back to susan and say hey susan can you go out here and try and talk to this guy because he is done with us Mm -hmm. just talk to him about the situation uh and find out whatever you can because she might be able to he's also hostile from the jump at uh navarro not having an inupiac name which we know is a sore spot from her from this episode we'll get into that later in her section of the 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 breakdown um because yeah she feels like she was kind of robbed of her birthright because her mother died before she could tell her and now this guy is holding against it. And I did some int- I did some research into like the the Inuit and Inupiaq kind of naming customs and ceremonies, and it's a like a really important thing that the, you give the baby the name that matches their spirit, and it can be a family name or you know a name from like mythos and whatnot. But they'll even, it's so important that like if uh, a baby in the first few weeks of its life is sick or like it takes to being sickly, they assume that the baby's rebelling against its the spiritual match of its name and they'll actually switch the name to try to, hmm. you know, um, achieve that kind of spiritual feng shui. If I can mm-hmm. mix cultures, religions, and metaphors. Harmony. Um, yeah. Spiritual yeah. harmony. Yeah. 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 And, um, and then, then like, I guess I did that, the, the fact that, um, in recent times, since the sixties and seventies, since air travel has become common, more and more Inuit women are pressured into not doing the traditional birthing process practices in the territories that they kind of like, you know, claim and are not uh, like low key forced to get on a plane when they're about 35, 36 weeks, go to a city and kind of stay at a hospital for several weeks until their child is born. Um, Mm. So, yeah, it's like it's and I I guess that's kind of a bone of contention. I didn't see where it was like being outlawed or made illegal, like um, asserting in this show. But but I think also that um, Issa Lopez is um, like increasing the contrast in some of these details to tell the story. Okay. Um, And also could be most of the literature I found was, was from a Canadian perspective. So maybe it is a little different in Alaska and it's a little bit more you know forcibly shut down i don't know but that's the clear opinion that i got that or maybe it's just that like the women themselves are like yeah i'd rather you know it's like makes a lot of sense to go to the hospital and the old ways are dying out as as much by the people's choice as as um, being forced and they're just not economically viable yeah no it's probably a lot safer to do it in a hospital but you know i mean people uh, disagree i mean that's like i'm not going to get in that kettlefish Sure. Because, like, you know, there's this huge, like, uh, you know, war about, uh, you know, the, the doulas and the midwifery and whether hospitals are superior and mm-hmm. what level of risk you're comfortable with and all that kind of stuff. You know, I my, my kid was born in a hospital. I'm satisfied with that. You know, people want to uh, do different with their kids. But I can also see where there's a traditional tribal 
native component to it where it's like that's a, yet another thing mm-hmm. that's being stolen like our medicine isn't good enough you need to have modern medicine what the fuck does that even mean when you're an Inupiaq woman to choose one or the other so I, I can see how that would be tied up in like cultural identity yeah <sighs> so we're at uh, the the so so they they get a call when they get thrown out of uh, uh, Tagak's cottage or his his uh, ice shack uh, that Lund is awake and they go back to the hospital and they're fat they're they're filled in that Lund's in bad shape he's had two amputations probably gonna need a third he's actually had three amputations he had a field amputation that frozen arm mm-hmm. um. And he's blind. The he's, his eyes don't work anymore. Uh, he's got um, just just all kinds of uh, gangrene spreading. He's going to be difficult to look at. Uh, he seems like he's just screaming. You know, like uh, every time he's conscious, he's screaming. Liz is able to question him and gets a lot of the she is awake business before. He starts having a big fit and a fight breaks out in the lobby. Uh, Liz orders Evangeline to stay and guard over Lund while she's gone. And during that process, Lund sits up and in his creepiest uh, clown from it voice says, your mom says hello. And then goes into convulsions and dies. Like they they were hit with the flat line at the end of the scene. To me, that Mm -hmm. says the guy's dead. Yep. Totally. Um, yeah, and he also says she's waiting for you. So there's some compulsion to come with him, right? Like that's one of the three things that Rose said the dead might want is for you to come with them. You're listening to The World We Deserve. We'll be right back. getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. 
Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel, Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find the copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast on 1980 Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. We're back with more of The World We Deserve. Yeah, and we now that we know that, um, again, when we get to Navarro section, her mother went and just kind of walked out there. Uh, we're seeing that kind of Navarro is feeling that call when she's mm-hmm. praying, that she feels this call to like just go and leave and walk out. And you can interpret that as just like kind of like disappear. But mm-hmm. in an Innis, Alaska situation, I think it is walk out on ice sheet and just die out there, pull a. Yeah, I think that's Travis. what her sister is saying for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Whether Evangeline feels that or not, uh, in that specific it's... respect, I don't know. But did she not say that was how she was feeling when in that conversation about prayer, or was she talking about her sister? I thought she was talking about herself no, there too. She, the she's list. talking about herself, but uh, okay. I I read Evangeline's description of that more as like I just want to get out of here. I want to get away from all of this stuff mm. that's causing me so much stress you know the the culture that i don't quite feel a part of my sister right and and the baggage of all that and trying to take care of her i just want to get away from it um whereas her sister i think is literally talking about walking out into the ice and just dying is that how it starts like does the ghost just right away be like follow me or did does it fill you with ennui and frustration and feelings of alienation and that turn into like, I just got to get out of here to like, I got to get out of here. And mm-hmm. yeah. could be, I, the one thing that the scientist says Lund that when he wakes up um, and he's screaming and he's talking to Liz is we woke her, she came for us. And the thing that's interesting to me is he says she's out there in the ice, not on the ice, in the ice. And when you connect that kind of with where Annie was and her video and these underground uh, or, you know, under ice tunnels anyway, you start to wonder, and obviously the microbe stuff has been, you know, bandied about for the last three episodes. Sure. Since day one. Uh, the, the intense fear, though. I mean, this guy's in pain, but it's fear that's the overriding emotion here, not the pain. Mm-hmm. Uh to me, does not say microbe. 
I know he's a scientist. I know he would understand the implications of everything going on, but something more visceral, something real and immediate has happened to these guys. And it's out there in the ice. I don't know, because like bacteria and virus can also affect your mental state. You think of like people with rabies, hydrophobia, how sure. they yeah. react, like drinking. Like there's a lot of irrational things that can go on your brain when you're sick. But I take I take your uh, I take your meaning. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so the other shoe to drop is as Lund is convulsing and uh, he's dying, and uh, the there's a big old. Fluffle in the hospital. Pete mentions that he's got the phone unhacked or hacked. He's got a hack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was unhacked before, previously unhacked. It's now hacked. And turns out he found a video where Annie is taking a selfie video, apparently in an ice tunnel. She's extremely afraid. She says, I found it. It's here. You hear a noise. She says, I'm Annie Kay. And if anyone finds this, boom, she's knocked to the ground. The floor, the, the phone falls on the floor and points at a symbol, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And then there's just so much screaming. Yeah, she's screaming a lot. Yeah, this is like Werner Herzog's bear man footage. Like, it's just it's just it's just someone getting. And I, 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 I go there because, like, it does seem like the most likely explanation is it's a polar bear. She went to a polar bear cave yeah. and. Got her, well, or, got her ass eaten. Or it followed her in wherever she was. You know, it's not... Maybe she wasn't seeking that out, but like, yeah. Right. It it potentially got her. Uh, and I noticed that the screaming doesn't stop, right? This is not when she died, apparently. The screaming continues all the way to the credits. Well, so she's still I alive a polar at the end bear of that. eating you alive would... Uh-huh. <laughs> that's not the scream. Yeah, so... Yeah, oh, but, I see well, what you're saying. She's being still like, not she, dead. Yeah, this polar bear didn't come up to her with a star-shaped shiv and start jabbing her, right? Like, yeah, she's yeah. clearly not dead yet. I, I don't know oh. if that video continues until everything goes quiet, until she's, like, drug away or completely killed or also, what. Also, okay, like, let's take the star-shaped wounds out of it. Uh-huh. How the hell does a coroner miss the fact that someone was mauled by a bear? Yeah, that can't happen perhaps partially consumed by a bear. So is this all a red herring that like maybe the bear scared her and she had to run, yeah. but like it never actually got her or did they successfully cover up Man. the bear attack with the star shaped wounds? That just seems like, even if you caught like, yeah, let's say that's... every place where a bear scratched or punctured her skin, you went uh-huh. with a star shaped knife. I still think, you know, a corner would be like, I'm not sure what all's going on here, but there's a hell of a lot more than just someone getting stabbed with a knife. Like there's this contusions yeah. and you can see this vertebra crushed. The, yeah. You, you can tell the difference between bear. a laceration and a puncture. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. There'd be yeah, bear saliva, so, DNA, you would think hairs. Uh, uh, there'd be a lot, a lot of things going on in that, the wound site. I can also say if that is a polar bear that got her which we don't know we don't actually see any hint right. of polar bear here we hear a noise it's i think unidentifiable could be a monster could be a monster could be people uh i don't know you don't outrun a polar bear if that's a polar bear in that cave she is done and if not dead then at least mauled like you said yeah yeah, I but hear that polar bears, they are the worst. They are the worst. But like, you know, everyone talks about the grizzly bear, but the polar bear is like, it's your ass. Like, you can mm-hmm. you can fight back and intimidate a black bear. You can play dead. 
uh, to pl- uh, pacify a brown bear because they don't really re- like eating people, but a mm-hmm. polar bear will eat your ass and hunt your ass. And yeah. <laughs> playing deads is going to going to make it go faster and fighting them is just a joke because they're the size of a f-350 pickup truck mm-hmm. uh yeah it's insane they're bigger than grizzly bears it turns out um, wow so the symbol what did you or is it a symbol are we seeing something out of nothing i thought i saw the phone <sighs> yeah. fix on a symbol i i don't really see a symbol here <laughs> you don't see an of this ice cave is that what you're talking about yeah, like some kind of diamond-shaped <sighs> gate that's like, or it's some kind of. I was like, okay, let's let's try not to load it. It looks like there's a okay. diamond shape that is surrounded by a spray of rays, um, you know, like a halo kind of of rays. Um, I interpret it as like an eye with like a you know an iris and eyelash, mm-hmm. um, but do you think it's a naturally occurring formation? Do you think it's What's that para felidia uh, that the the kind of like where your eyes you know because it's your eye and brain are the pattern matching machine it mm-hmm. finds patterns where there are none in nature i forget what the yeah the i mean that's that is kind of where i'm leaning but i don't know i don't know i really couldn't tell you uh that's it for the the main i mean there's other things that kind of could be related but i kind of kept those into the investigators section so maybe we should uh go to the first one Mm -hmm. navarro evangeline navarro uh we open with a cold open of her in the past and seemingly serving an arrest warrant on annie k and uh, you know she's she's going to this building that's unmarked, and she's investigating. She hears a woman screaming bloody murder, which gives her cause to enter the building, where she finds Annie Kay, and she tries to arrest her. And she's like, "Can't go, got to deliver a baby." And she's pressed, she's drafted into the Indigenous Women's Birthing Club, mm-hmm. and she gets caught up in it, uh, like I did. I mean, the I, I, when. It wasn't until Evangeline takes a breath that I realized I had been holding my breath the entire time at the end of this scene. When this child starts crying and you finally breathe, you're like, oh, wow, okay, I was really gripped up in that. Um, And she's feeling the same thing in this scene. Evangeline, it's kind of the perfect scene to demonstrate how in between worlds she is, right? She's here in the capacity of like modern society Mm -hmm. um trying to serve an arrest warrant on someone who is serving this old culture um Mm -hmm. and in the process she can't help but be drawn to that because she is part of that uh i think it's a really great scene and it was super affecting for me and doubly so for the character yeah, anytime you have like birth situations, very primal, it's very easy to get pulled into it. It's like, you know, think about all the the tragic births on House of the Dragon, uh the one of the better episodes of Station 11 invo- involved like the women's birthing clinic. Um mm-hmm. it's 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 easy to get the uh, it's it's the ba- most basic of human dramas, you know. It's literally life and death. Yeah. Uh and and yeah, Evangeline gets 
it's very affected by the relation you know like the end like annie like after they you know heroically saved this child and the mother's reunited with it it's breathing and everyone's happy she goes right up to marches right up to navarro and puts her hands out all right arrest me um Mm -hmm. and i think the implication is navarro does not that was what i assumed as well i was gonna ask you what you thought so yeah assume we're on the same page there but I could, could also you? see Navarro being like, well, the rule, you know, we'll, the, the, we'll, you know, you got your day in court, but I'm an officer of it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, like I said, I, my feeling, but they could be, they, they could be doing all this stuff where they break away before you know to let you make assumptions about these women to confound you. Cause I think they're doing that intentionally with the Wheeler case. Yeah. Where they're giving you just enough information to make a knee-jerk call based on what you know about these women, and they're trying to zag. So this could be another one where it's like, oh, well, I bet she let her off the hook, and it turns out, nah, she's a lot more sensitive to law and order than that. I don't know. It seems ridiculous is what I'm saying it, though. I mean, maybe, but she's clearly got some guilt around all this stuff, so yeah. that could be part of the pile of guilt, she feels, that, yeah, she did go ahead and arrest her, you know? and right. Maybe a stillbirth happened the next week and she feels mm. guilty about that. Um, we didn't really talk about it in the mystery section, but that's another thing. These stillbirths are happening seemingly more and more often. Yeah, because like, you know, in this scene we get uh, what seems like it was heading the wrong way. This baby wasn't mm-hmm. responsive. It seems like it was a concern to the midwives. Um, but, you know, uh, the human birth is actually fraught with a lot of risk. Uh, our our damn brains are so big we're on the ragged edge of survival getting pushing that out of a of a, of a pelvis so it's like it's hard yep. to say but it seems like the show's point of view is six years ago things were bad and touch and go mm-hmm. now we're at a point where you actually have the stillbirth yeah so and a lot of them it's they, they frame it as another stillbirth when they're talking about it at the rally and especially it seems like a lot of town folks maybe six, seven years ago were thinking these activists were being alarmist and kind of pains in the ass, but maybe things have progressed to it's, it's potential, like they're warning. You know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, like, oh, whatever. Now it's happening, mm-hmm. and it's it's really, you know, because, like, the people who, the 50% of the town that want the mind to stay because that's their livelihood are not going to be swayed by evidence at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. Um. So that just makes the other 50% that's dealing with the problems and have no benefit to it just that much angrier. And those are the most dangerous situations where you have one side that no matter what is never going to budge and the other side who's getting fucked. Like, that's just not a stable situation. Mm-hmm. Speaking of unstable situations, what do you think about a captain of the police force calling in his drunken hunting buddies to deputize them for a manhunt on the ice. Uh, Where in the scale of police like professionalism idea. does that fall? Pretty low. Pretty low on the scale. And, and no, a, Go ahead. Why, why, why can no one tell this guy no? Or I guess why can no one have teeth when they tell them to tell him no. I, I think we're so we we had someone that I think has a pretty plausible explanation in in feedback, but it seems like that there are a couple of plausible ways that Hank might have leverage over Liz and Navarro. Maybe it's okay. the Wheeler case. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's the fact that um, Liz has done something inappropriate towards Peter. 
or maybe other cops mm-hmm. on the force. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to talk about that more later, but I'm going to stick with the search party. What do you make of the mm-hmm. oranges? They're pretty sloppy with the oranges. Uh, these hillbillies or whoever brought the oranges in. I don't, I forget, but they're spilling them everywhere. Uh, they're showing up in strange places. I think what happens is Evangeline takes this orange, this pocket orange and throws it into the darkness and then she's walking and she kicks just a different orange that happens to be sitting there on the ground. <laughs> I don't think this is a mystery. I think there's just oranges scattered throughout the tundra now. Do you think that, um, or like it, it's, it's, uh, she's got snow madness and she just actually walked like 50 feet and she came across the, the orange. All right. Um, yeah. She's got some a people, terrible arm. <laughs> <laughs> some people were analyzing the orange situation as like what it tells us about the hunters, like what their level of affluence. I don't know if I buy this, but the theory is we, saw how expensive groceries are in Ennis like mm-hmm. fresh fruit must Processed be that stuff. on a whole other fucking level where are these hillbillies quote unquote hillbillies getting all these oranges who should be like worth their weight in gold and why are they just spilling them out onto the tundra willy nilly yeah uh, A they're drunk most likely right so yeah. that could just explain it all uh, but where are they getting the oranges I mean it's a special occasion. They're on a manhunt. Oh, all right, yeah. You don't usually get you to splurge. hunt for sport. Yeah, right. It's a, it's it's time to get the oranges out, baby. Uh huh. A bottle of Crown Royal and some oranges. Um. Yeah. So we uh we we've talked about her tossing orange uh tossing back again. Um. I, I will. Team rationality is trying to fight its way out of its corner because they they mm-hmm. it was we're in a bad shape. But I will point out that all the weird shit that happens in Navarro happens when she's alone. Yeah. With either herself, a comatose body, mm-hmm. an orange. You know, she's there's no one there to like see. Oh my god, did you see that orange throwback? Oh my god, it must be a ghost. There's it's always just her there solo, and I think that is definitely intentional. Yeah, are they leaning into the Godfather meeting of the orange? Because in the intro, you see the orange peel kind of floating underwater along with the bodies of people, right? Um, yeah, to me, that says there's a connotation of death here. It could be. And when your I, mother I, is calling you to the other side, I f- yeah. yeah, I feel like this is an omen about her survivability. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's almost like, you know, we're 50 years on, Godfather, like this is entering the like almost Christ imagery level of it's not even a trope anymore. It's just a mm-hmm. it's just a narrative shorthand, you know, like this is death. This is uh, you know, surprise violent death. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And not for nothing, these men are later seen in, I, I think it's a shooting accident. They we're not really privy to what went on, but like I like I said in the instant take, I think someone, Dick Cheney'd somebody else, accidentally shot them. Mm-hmm. And the cops and the hunters are all in a fight about whose fault it was and who did what. And so, orange imagery pointing to violent death. Also, not for nothing, and I, I gotta say this because if not, I'll get a bunch of feedback people saying we forgot to mention it. Oranges are in the credit sequence. Like, they're yeah. a prominent part of the imagery in the credit sequence, which is kind of fucking wild. Like, there's something more than just a Godfather reference if you're putting them that front and center in a show, I think. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Uh, I do wonder if H- Hank's head is gonna roll next episode. Because like ultimately, orange. like, who's responsible for this? He is. Like a Valencia orange? 
Sure. Yeah, his uh, head's literally gonna roll. Polar bear. Well, and she she threatened off. him, right? She threatened him. It's yeah. like if you don't get your buddies off of this case, then I'm going to hit you for negligence. Well, I mean, something's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. I guess the other thing could be that Hank went there there to tell him to go home, and they reacted poorly to it. And mm, but even still, it's like how yeah. that doesn't get him out of the negligence charge. It just makes him <laughs> sure. I don't know, double negligent. Um, so the way, the way we haven't talked about this, the way we got a, um, a, a connection to the, uh, to got guy is Navarro goes out to see Kavik. He is mm-hmm. doing some ice fishing, uh, in his little ice cabin, which looked very cozy. I would like to spend the night with Kavik, uh, ice fishing. That seems really cool. I actually, that's like one of my bucket list things. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to stay with a couple dudes in a cabin in like Minnesota, doing some ice fishing that looks super fun he's got a space heater out there up on the wall it's yeah yeah don't want to put it on the floor you don't want to put (laughs) it on the floor melt the (laughs) ground out from under you i see a lot on tiktok of ice like that around time a lot of ice fishing footage and uh it's surprising how many dudes dropped their cell phone down that hole (laughs) (laughs) it turns out I think I've seen, you got I've seen like a half dozen fingers. this year alone. Yeah, no, I mean, it, but it's like, it's like also, it's like one of those things where it's like, it's, you might as well drop it into the crack of doom. Oh yeah. You know, crack of Mount doom. Like you're just never going to get that back and you can see it cause it's ice cold water <laughs> and these phones have like IP <laughs> eight sets. So it's like, you can see the light going like impossibly deep until it goes out. It's really fun. I hope it's, it's really streaming to the cloud so they can go get that video <laughs> yeah. afterward. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you can see Cthulhu down there or whatnot. Uh-huh. Um, so he's like, yeah, I can tell you about this guy. I got connections, but it's going to be a quid pro quo, lady. I'm not going to give this information for free. And the coin yeah. that I'm trading is information about you. I want to know he's about your mama, to, gal. Yeah, he's trying to extort her into a more intimate relationship, I think. <laughs> Seems what he what he wants from her, right? He wants Dude's to get down serious. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she's extremely resistant for her reasons. Um, she seems to like Kavik, though. I, that's the thing I keep coming back to is it's not that she doesn't want to be with Kavik; it's that she doesn't want to be with anybody. Yeah, she might not be the settling down type, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he's I trying think to make she that most happen. maps to Rust on this true detective scale. Like it seems very clear that yeah. Liz is kind of the Marty and. Uh, Navarro is kind of the the rust, a little haunted quality, haunted quality, um, mm-hmm. a little more serious minded about, uh, especially spiritual things. Yeah, um, the thing that struck me in this scene is that she admits to Kavik that her sister is like her mom. Mm. You know, she's describing it that she sees things and. Haunted by stuff, and he says, "Oh, like your mom," and she says, "Yeah," which is something she's been saying the exact opposite about to to her sister, right? Yeah, trying to reassure her, you're not like our mom. But then here, suddenly she is. So it betrays kind of what she really thinks about Julia. Yeah, yeah, I kind of figured that before, but yeah, she's saying it out Mm -hmm. loud here, and uh, we know find a lot about her her upbringing that um, you know her mom's from this area, from a gold camp. Uh, she left to go to Boston. Boy, out of the frying pan into the fryer there. 
Okay. <laughs> then uh, and and you get it's kind of fun because Kavik's like picking up this like oh that's where that kind of like accent came from and and uh, you know her dad is bad sounds like drank a lot beat her and her mom her sister uh, and her mom took us and ran back all the way to Alaska but she came back kind of haunted wasn't okay heard voices saw things like Jules as you mentioned and then one day she just ran out and never came back. And the thing that haunts uh, Navarra the most is she did never, never got her a Nupiak name. She, yeah, like I said, her, is, her birthright was stolen from her. This is really the the biggest thing that they're doing in this episode uh, with Navarro is making that point that she's mm-hmm. kind of caught between worlds. Um, yeah. They do it with that opening scene. They do it here and later with Oliver when he asks her, "What's your real name?" And she has no response. He assumes it's because she's forgotten, which yeah. it, it probably means she's you know drifted too far from the culture and doesn't have it in her anymore. But really, it's she wants that, but she can't get it. And I, I don't think there's any way for her to get this name at this point. Right? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, her sister less... is not holding this information from her. You know, mom said before she ran away, your your, your Nupiak name is Sedna or something like. Unless she picks up some chupa whoopa symbols or, or signals yeah. from the the net, it's and uh, it's not going to happen. I guess and she could have a conversation with her dead mother through the psychosphere or something, right? Right. Like right. She she could, and whether that's a hallucination and she's giving herself a name here, or that's right real and we're dealing with some true supernatural stuff, I don't know, but that's a way. Yeah. And I think it's interesting the contrast between Leah, who is a young native woman who wants to attain kind of like that native uh, heritage and culture and traditions and doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. And Navarro is a woman who had it but lost it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, had had a true blue uh, native woman uh, as her mom, whereas Leah's got the whitest lady in the world. Uh, there's, there's an interesting kind of contrast and comparison between them. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Uh, meanwhile, or I guess uh, later on, Navarro's out on the ice, uh, kind of still on the search, and she hears a faint refrain of twist and shout, which I think is sung by Liz. And then she sees what I understand to be Holden, a small boy in Holden's pajamas, it seems, just holding at the something. outer, uh, holding what it looks like a pit, the, the, the polar bear, Mm-hmm. Right at the edge of her light, just so you know, ah, who made the trick of the light? Who do you know, or h- how do you know you saw it? She runs after him, slips, hits her head, gets knocked out, and she wakes up. I, I think you made this inference in the instant take that uh, she woke up on the battlefield, wherever she was, somewhere in the Middle East and the global yes. war on terror. Seems like some sort of burned out transport uh, yeah, truck like a next to her, and a half uh, burned uh-huh. out and turned over, and. Uh, she gets uh holden appears to her on the on the uh spiritual plane and whispers uh tell my mommy some weird reversed stuff yeah did we find out did anybody find out what the weird reverse stuff is because i really want to know there's someone on there was just one small thread on reddit where someone had um recorded the line reversed it and said he thought it said teddy bear and another person listened to it and thought he said i love her Okay, I love her. Seems to make more sense on the face of it. Yeah, but this is like a real Yanni Laurel. Have you heard seen that where they <laughs> yeah, they yeah. they play the thing and yeah, and it's actually saying yeah. like Starscream. I, that's what it's actually saying. Uh, 
because that's from like some kind of pokemon video game i believe (laughs) but yeah it's like you can it's very tricky you're very open to suggestion when you're hearing like garbled out of context stuff like that um did you clock that holden's pajamas or his jammies the the text on them that said sleepy and dreamer that was reversed too which i think is a hint subconsciously i noticed it because when we were talking before this and you pointed that out, i'm like yeah you're right it did yeah yeah he's uh, speaking backwards he's wearing backwards clothes he's through the yeah. looking glass what is that telling us i honestly don't know uh, uh but she sh- is seeing the dead here and it, it's interesting to me that it starts off with someone saying listen and it's not yeah, holding again. yeah and that's what yeah. happened when she saw the lady with her head blown out um Mm-hmm. And I'm tying this back to the stuff she tells Liz about what she does in her spare time when she's lonely. It's not Netflix. It's praying to God, but it's not praying to him. It's just sitting there and listening, listening to God. And here yeah. she's told to listen. Is is this God talking to her? Uh, is this... And later, you know, she's going to kind of see the dead with Lund. It, and here's the connection to Holden, who we know is... Well... Yeah, we know is dead. I can state that. Um, so I, I don't know. There's a lot going on here that's connecting Evangeline to the the other plane of existence, if there is one in this show. Am I wrong? Because like one of my thoughts is that I thought that she's maybe not telling the truth about what she does. Because like we have never seen Navarro okay. alone. You know, I guess there is that one scene where her and Danvers are kind of up late, kind of fretting, but she's always with someone. She's with a fellow police officer. She's with Liz. She's with Kavik frequently. She's with her sister. Like, where are these times where she's just contemplating God? She's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder. And, and there's also she was deflecting a bunch of, uh, you know, attempts from Liz to try to get to know like, yeah, who are you seeing? Who are you doing this? Like could be that she is just you know, feigning that like, I don't I even have a love life because I guess this is now the time to talk about it. Very popular source of theorizing and the feedback. Uh, Liz and Navarro could have been lovers at one time. Huh? Okay. I hadn't considered it, but Yeah. Possible. I don't see there's much information. There's not much evidence either. There's a lot of evidence. Super like, oh, how does Liz know how she likes to stack her cans? I don't know. If you're friends for a couple of years, that probably is something that could have come up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, the, the fact that like Liz is kind of teasing her about, are you are you still seeing girls? Um, what would the context of that conversation be? Um, oh, yeah. But it's like, it could be all that she's right. just bisexual. And again, they've been friends for years and they know that. And she's like, so all mm-hmm. all of the mm-hmm. evidence of like they could be a relationship is identical to evidence of people have been partners for, you know, like police partners for years yeah, and years yeah. and years and just no shit about them. Sure. Uh, something to keep an eye on, though, for sure. Yeah. But if that's uh, the, the, the one possible interpretation is like Liz is kind of uncomfortably deflecting on what she thinks is an attempt for Liz to pick her up again. <laughs> Like, hey, we're working huh. the case. Let's bump uglies too, you know? Sure. I don't know. I would I would consider that shitting where you eat. 
if you're right. literally but we also your partner, yeah. but this either that's the other things they're both lying about right. their situation because Liz is absolutely shitting where she eats like she's yeah, fucking she's still the, fucking Connolly the, 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 yeah Connolly from the town over which has got jurisdiction over yeah there's like all kind mm-hmm. of yeah uh, yeah, totally. Last thing I want to talk about with Navarro's is Kenny Hogan, who is babysitting in Kavik's bar while he's out ice fishing, gives her a heads up that her sister has had another episode, screaming, seeing people chasing her, saying someone's coming, uh, notably praying. Mm-hmm. And she runs out of Kavik's bar into the ice, and uh, somehow Evangeline intuits that she's at this abandoned boat that's been locked in the ice. Yeah, it's wreck. Uh, if Liz or if Evangeline doesn't come out and find her, does she freeze to death? Because <laughs> looks how like would it, she yeah. not? And the state, the mental state she's in, that yeah. might be her plan. You know, with what her mom did, and you know, kind of following the footsteps, literally. Yeah, and when she's talking about how she just wants to walk out in the ice, you know, she sits out there for another fifteen minutes alone. She might just do it. Um, yeah, I. And I was kind of bringing up the stuff about the prayer to point this out. I I think you don't know if someone's praying, if they just kind of sit there and they're quiet, right? And they're not screaming about she's coming and then they sit down and meditate. Um, Mm -hmm. So this guy heard her like speaking to God, which is exactly the opposite of what Evangeline says she does, which is just listens. Uh, Mm. I don't know what significance is there, but the way that they... The way that they frame that and the different reactions they seem to have to seeing things, because I think I'm comfortable saying Evangeline is seeing things, um, just like her sister. She's seeing people and whatever uh, talk to her, be in places they shouldn't. So their different reactions to that might have something to do with the way they process the spiritual side of this. Could be. You know, Julia screams and runs and evangeline just kind of sees it and lets it exist and maybe that's part of roses i guess tutelage whatever happened there with them right because they were friends uh she might have a better way of dealing with that than her sister huh uh i also thought it was interesting is is so that's a cool that's interesting duality amongst the sisters you point out uh what did you make of her talking about do you see the sea and i see bad stuff because this is in the context of them being on a massive ice shelf like there's no land in the Arctic. Yeah. There's a big hole at the top of the world where all the water's at, and it's just you know a lot, a lot of ice, increasingly breaking up <laughs> ice sheets. But um, the, the, I, I thought there might be a possible connection to like global warming or climate change. You know, oh, she's yeah. talking about she's sitting at the on a fro, on a on a frozen ocean and saying she sees the sea. Yeah, I mean, there's so much illusion in this show to environmental damage um, and it, you know, causing problems, not necessarily unleashing, not literally like unleashing microbes, but causing problems in general with the people and the cultures and all that. Yeah. All right. Well, we still have a little bit of Navarro, but it's more Danvers flavored. So maybe we can move over to Liz Danvers. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 there's this thing with Hank where he's not respond. He's he's leading this team of men, but he's not responding to the radio, even though everyone says he should be well within radio range. 
Um, they have a, just a mountain of evidence, over 19 boxes worth of evidence from Clark's cabin that they took that they've got to go through. And she requests officially a transfer to Navarro to her department. And this is the point where Pete takes the opportunity to probe her about what happens to the Wheeler case. Watch out for the polar bear. We'll be right back. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. Time to continue our investigation back to the world we deserve. Yeah, the demeanor of Liz is what really stuck out to me in this scene. She comes in with a head of steam, seemingly looking for some ball that Pete has dropped. She's yep. saying, what is this evidence doing in the evidence room? Right. right. <laughs> and he's like, well, it's evidence. She's like, move it somewhere else. Uh, th- th- there's there's so many questions and he's on top of it all. Like he's juggling so many things and just keeping on top of everything, but she's trying to find the knit to pick here. And I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's, it's, she's, she's really giving me a lot of the devil wears parka. Uh, it's just <laughs> okay. like a boss yeah. who's demanded, like doing all this petty shit to almost brainwash their employee into being the perfect extension of their mind and body. Mm hmm. Um, just all these unreasonable requests and then when he's actually anticipated it she finds a way that he anticipated it wrong and it's uh, I mean it's a good it's like you find the right mentality 
it does seem to like make that person obsessed with you to the point that they're going to try to achieve perfection doesn't seem very healthy sure, yeah. to either party but it does seem like it's something and it doesn't work on everybody but mm-hmm. pete seems like the type of guy it's working on yeah and she tells him to go hack this phone because he's under 30 and has friends i i don't know i i feel like you could get it done but you're not doing it legally that's the thing yeah. they're they're going out they've got to be going outside the law here is it though? Because these are dead men, and it's a murder investigation. I don't know what the legality is of hacking a dead person's phone. Like, I don't know what kind of like constitutional protection that they have when it's there's also a like, piece of uh, evidence. And I guarantee whoever he's going to is not a cop. Right? That's there. There, the chain of custody is what could could fuck him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but maybe not. Maybe he knows a cop who's under thirty and can hack a phone. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere alaska so what do you tell tell the audience what your understanding of the wheel william wheeler case uh i mean the what we're shown here is or told mostly and shown a little bit is uh that there was this girl who kept getting beat by her lover i don't think it was her husband um but by this man wheeler and uh, she wouldn't report it. She wouldn't say, yeah, he's beating me. So they couldn't really do anything about it every time she'd come up with an excuse. And then at some point, he went a little too far, killed her. And somehow they got a call. I don't, I don't know who called them to this house. <laughs> when you've got, uh, like, did the dude just call up and say, I murdered this girl, come get me? Could be, yeah. But they say we got the call. I don't know who gave that call. Anyway, they get called out to this house where... The woman has clearly been murdered, and the man is sitting there. He's whistling a tune and seems to not have much remorse. And then she claims to Pete that when they showed up, they were both dead, murder-suicide. What we see is exactly... It is completely uh, goes against that. Yeah, We see the man alive and well, whistling tunes, looking menacing. Yeah, and it's such an interesting parallel to the season one of True Detective where, you yeah. know, Marty and Russ cooked up this elaborate self-defense play to mask the fact that Mar- Marty has rolled up and murked the dude that kind of handicapped their investigation, made them all heroes, but handicapped their investigation. <laughs> I think they're doing a similar <laughs> parallel here. And I really, I love the music that they, you know, when... uh Navarro and Danvers are doing their Cagney and Lacey routine where they're busting in and they're covering each other and going around. They find Wheeler and they have this like really amazing music playing. Um, and this guy's whistling twist and shout, not just any music. Mm-hmm. And this is where I must have watched this, this 10 second snippet uh, about 20 times because I was looking at like Evangeline's face and then Evangeline's gun and then Liz's face and then Liz's gun and then Evangeline's mm-hmm. shoulders and then Liz I was just trying to think it's like because it's like a five second scene and I think what most people like what what the show is hoping that you take the bait on is that Navarro is the one who especially is a sensitive to men preying on women Navarro seems to be a little bit more of the the hot-headed one uh navarro who's obsessed with this like this concept of like you know ending violence against native women uh that she is going to go off half cocked and shoot this guy in the head sure um and i 
was thinking that like it'd be an interesting inversion of that to have Liz be the one who is the one who is sick and tired of his bullshit and shoots him. And I think that that makes a lot more sense from like episode two, you know, when they're talking about the incident and like Navarro seems like she's trying to reassure Liz that they did things by the book and Liz is the one that doesn't want to talk about it. Like she feels guilty about it. But my honest read of this situation is Navarro and them are both looking. Navarro's like nostrils flare and her kind of mouth half snarls and she kind of regrips her gun and her shoulders tense. At the same time, Liz is over there and she's shocked, but like her face looks like she's about to comprehend something and her gun drops like two inches right before the camera cuts away. Mm. And on that read, it seems like Liz is about to lower her weapon and Navarro is getting up the steam to kill this guy. Maybe the guy is pulling a gun up to shoot himself and Evangeline's going to shoot it out of his hands. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say like he's pulling, he's doing a suicide by cop. Uh, that too. Yeah. But, but that's, that's a valid reason to shoot a dude. Like that's, that's Marty and Russ. Like, you know, you can shoot a guy who's raising a gun at you. So yeah. if that actually mm-hmm. happened, why wouldn't you be like, hey, he pulled a gun Navarro or you know Officer Danvers fired and everyone's a hero. Like maybe there's some timing stuff there that tells Liz no he Evangeline was actually going to kill this guy, but this guy happened to be pulling a gun up too, and so we can make it look like it was it was warranted. I don't know. But the yeah, other thing hard, is like it's hard to imagine suicide. you shoot this guy in the side of the head from I don't know two yards away, three yards away. That with your service like weapon, a suicide, yeah. With your service they weapon, absolutely with the ballistics. have ballistics on. Yeah, yeah. It's so really like that's hard what to imagine that could the, look like suicide. The Rust and Marty thing work is like, yeah, I was shot with Marty's pistol, but they really concocted this story where Marty got the drop on him and shot him in self defense. Mm-hmm. Where it's like this: the story is murder suicide. If either of those police yeah. officers shot them with their sidearm, I like. I mean, maybe this goes back to, like, why Hank has the hand over her, though. Like, if Hank, who's the current police, like, chief, buried that or ran the investigation around or signed off on it, then who the hell is going to say otherwise in this? Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff, though. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it feels like something we need to know more about, and we certainly will before the end of the season. And here's the thing where I'm pretty sure is a lie. Liz continues like Navarro never got over it. She thought we should have done something more. Blamed me is nasty. I had to transfer over to troopers. My read on of either of these two women hadn't gotten over it. It's Liz. Navarro seems completely chill about the Wheeler case. She knows that Liz is upset about it. But when she brings it up, it's not like, hey, this has been bugging me. It's like, I'm trying to assure you that we can't. I, I I'm don't just kind of shutting it down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like Liz couldn't deal with the guilt and she was reminded of the guilt every time she looked. I, I don't know. It's tough. There's, there's, I'm just mm-hmm. putting a lot of stuff out there in the psychosphere, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. Um, In the same scene, she mentioned uh, Peter's bruise on his face. And she observes, kind of funny, that the captain of the hockey team lost his footing in the rink, huh? Mm-hmm. That's more than an idle observation, right? That's Liz saying, oh, yeah. I know that your dad hit you. And yeah. kind of making the and connection back to the Wheeler us. case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I, I felt bad for Pete because, I, again, I, I am very confused about the exact nature of the relationship between Hank and Liz. Um, mm-hmm. 
but it does feel like he is the kid that's caught between two divorced parents and he's passing information between which is like every child psychologist tell you is a bad bad position to put your kid in if you're doing that right now stop it go forth sin no more but and he's a he's a grown-ass man but still it's like it sucks that he's having to be to go between between these people to hate each other yeah it's tough for me to kind of assess liz's intentions here um i don't think it's sexual i I don't think anything has happened or there's any reason to think that liz wants something to happen with pete that he's mrs robinson her um i i think of it more as like a proxy son you know she lost holden Mm -hmm. she could have maybe imagined him growing up like her and and he's she's trying to mold this kid into some kind of version of herself uh to soothe that pain a little bit yeah and hank doesn't take kindly to that i which you know i kind of understand but also he's a shit dad so what do you expect you're gonna his son's gonna find somebody else to yeah to, to, to tutor him you know and then that's to make a- him into a decent human that's a play out of the shitty parent handbook to when that happens, blame the person who is taking an interest and, right. you know, to like Steady you're yourself. fucking up, you're interfering and doing, but you know, also you can't mm-hmm. interfere in people's relationships too. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the one thing about the Liz and Pete situation is Navarro kind of like teasing her and Pete about like, you know, you'll fuck anything. that's not fast enough to outrun you. And like, Hey Pete, you better learn to run fast. Like, mm-hmm. There's, I guess there's one way you can make that. The reason she's comfortable making that joke is because she knows there's no teeth to it. You know, it's like it'd be wild I to assume, be, yeah. tell your 60-year-old uh, former co-worker that she better not fuck the 25-year-old, you know, if you thought she was really going to do it. Yeah. I, I would think that's beyond the pale, but... Like when Marty... Knows? Like it was a season one situation... When Marty gave the $100 bill to the 16-year-old prostitute and said, find better work, and then Russ said, are you putting a down payment, Marty? Rust was not joking. Mm-hmm. Rust was saying, you're, you're the type of guy that... And then it turns out, it's like three years later, Marty will fuck that, that poor yeah, he, <laughs> runaway he prostitute because he is mm-hmm. that kind of guy. So it's like, is it is it a joke like, ha-ha, you would never do that, so it's funny? Or is it joke, ha-ha... You're kind of. It felt like more of the haha. It's actually funny, but I don't know. It's a weird. I thought weird so too. To joking about and the way Liz like, Liz doesn't have a moment where she goes, "Ooh, I'm almost caught here." You know, mm-hmm. Liz immediately turns it back to the Connolly thing because I think right. that's that's the real thing that you know is in the air here. But she's also delusional because I believe that everyone knows that she fought Connolly. Like, there's yeah. she thinks she's mm-hmm. slick and that she's hit it, but it's not. Yep. But I don't know. Um, but she also asserts I don't fuck where I eat, which we know that's not true. Um, Anymore, at least hasn't, but... wasn't true for 20 years. I don't know if it's true right now, but yeah, I mean, she fucked Connolly like two days ago, one day ago. So yeah. not exactly where she eats. Yeah, it's the it's next town over, enough. but and apparently she gets to Fairbanks a lot. Cause she says she's on Tinder and you know, Navarro. That's the first thing I thought is like, how the hell are you on? Like, are you just like fucking the same five lumberjacks? Uh, or <laughs> miners, like there. yeah, 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 yeah. Miners. Like what? Yeah, what? I mean, that's the thing that defines the tundra, the lack of trees. Like it's right, literally, right. I think Norwegian word for no trees grow here. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the miners, yeah, that would be weird. It's too but small she, a community she takes, to. 
She takes sex trips into Fairbanks mm-hmm. to, to get, which, you know, fair enough. I, yeah. I could see she doing that. She has needs, and she doesn't want to get hitched up again to anybody, apparently, yeah. so. Take a charter flight out on Thursday night, have have a three-weekend three bender, and then come back in Sunday and get As long as she's not week. using department funds for it. True. Like, that's got to be personal, you know? True. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then... Uh, Leah, wait, are we still on? Uh, no, we're on the Danvers side. Uh, Leah, her daughter, stepdaughter, goes to a mining protest organization mm. meeting uh, where she finds out one of the people in the community just experienced a stillbirth uh, that they're laying at the uh, at the at the feet of the the mine, talking about how the fish, the whales, the caribou, the seals, the water, it's all gone rotten. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Um, and when they want they they want the mine to close. Um, anything we want to mention about that? Um, what does Drum Lady not understand about a moment of silence? Say, let's have a moment of silence. She starts banging this drum. Well, they they had a moment of silence, but then I think it transitioned into. Oh, and Drum the, Lady gets to decide the when the transition happens. Hey, man, I don't know enough I about a still on my moment customs. of silence, lady. Like, may, maybe, yeah, maybe the <laughs> eldest woman with the drum does lead you out of the moment of silence. <laughs> All right. Only the man who called the silence gets to break it. I mean, pretty, look, pretty we need white some order here. Of you to make there, Jim. I, I think need some order here. You can't have everybody willy nilly playing drums at a rally. It's sure. chaos. I did find the insult, the ensuing, like I had kind of blended into the wake that the yeah. kind of like drumming, chanting, humming, like multi-part hum, uh, harmony was extremely like soothing aural landscape, uh, soundscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially at the wake. Yeah, like or Liz is a white it. noise fan. I think I would pipe that stuff into my ears. <laughs> All right, uh, is really is really soothing. Um, but uh, the other things I noticed in this um, uh, kind of wake they were having for a stillborn is again this this woman of striking red hair, which ties her back to the beautician. I guess she's got one eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like every fucking episode has had a one eyed theme. Um, and then uh, the mother, I think it's the mother of the of the 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 one that lost the baby. Kind of like she's the one at the center. It seems of the trauma. Everyone's kind of like formed around her. She like fixes Liz with her stare and just mean mugs the shit out of her. Yeah. So showing that I mean, like she... I think Navarro's not the only one that kind of lays Annie's disappearance and like cover up at her feet. Yeah, that's possible. Uh feel like she didn't do enough. Or is it just it... authority figure inter- in, in intruding on this very private thing? It's maybe not even authority figure. It's maybe just outsider. Like you're I mean, mm. this is the most intimate of moments. It, it's I understand why Liz feels like she needs to go try to be there for her community at this particular moment. Like her daughter just blasts her for not giving a shit about any of right. it. And so she tries to prove to herself that she can do this. She can care a little yeah. bit. This is not the time. I mean, this is such a personal, you're, you're so out of your element and this is such a personal moment that I think, I think you need to let this pass and find smaller ways to sort of inch your way into this community and show that you mm-hmm. care before you just show up. Yeah. In this and it's a, scenario. It's a, it's a big parallel to like Navarro showing up to the birthing 
Uh, yeah. And, you yeah. know, the mom be like, who is this bitch? Get her out of here. It's like she, even though she's a Nupiak woman, is an outsider because of the way she was raised, the lack of grounding and tradition, the fact that she's wearing a uniform, there to mm-hmm. arrest their head doula. Uh, yeah. But they, but they invite her in because she is like spiritually a part of this, whereas Liz is not, has never been, yeah. has never wanted to be. Right. And so... Right. It's, it feels like an intrusion here to me. Um, and I think that's kind of what the nasty water is telling us, too. Yeah, I skipped over that part about her daughter coming home and uh, her mom being freshly in sins that not only is she still not taking the, the temporary tribal tattoos off her chin, but now she's wearing a mining protest shirt. And I, I, I do think that we can close the case on this mystery. They talked about in the official podcast that, like, this isn't... I mean, yeah, there's probably some old white lady kind of racism, anti-nativism, but it's mostly like, oh, my God, my daughter is going to be the next Anne K. And I think they... Rewatching it, it's very explicitly made when they go, they, they, they smash cut from her wiping that off her chin to the dead, you know, Liz looking at dead Annie. Yeah, totally. Uh, photograph. So it's like, yeah, she's seeing, oh my God, this will be my daughter unless she changes, unless she becomes less native, unless she mm-hmm. becomes less antagonistic towards the powerful mining forces, unless, you know, again, it's shitty. Yeah, that's. This is not good parenting. But it's, a, it's also crisis parenting, you know. Right. It's a it's a pretty unhealthy manifestation of a healthy fear. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the way yeah. she's parenting is terrible, but I understand why she's doing it that way. Uh, let me ask you about the Christmas goose or the turkey or whatever the hell is sitting out on the table here. This is two days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Are they going to brine this thing? Like what? I mean. She was supposed to come down and help her with something, but it's just I'm, sitting out on the table. So my read on this is this is telling, this is the story of a mother trying desperately to keep some kind of semblance of family going for them both, and neither one of them really being into it. Like, but, I, crucially also, the like Christmas it's, it's, it being associated like a, with a white person's religion, right? Well, like, that too, oh, we're yeah. going to have a Christmas? What if I want to have a, an Upiak ceremony of some kind for something else? Also, Christmas is down. kind of like the great devourer of religions. Like, yeah. it's a thing. It's like, oh, what do you got? You got tree worship? We'll get some tree worship in there. What do you got? You got some gift giving? Uh-huh. Some, like, uh, some... Uh, some sun worship. Yeah, we'll incorporate that. Uh, well, we got a sacred date of this in the middle of December. Yeah, that's when our Lord was. But it's like that's it's just kind of like Tama. What's what's a Katari Demarcy kind of like ball. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just grabbing up all the other customs, sucking everything up. So that I could see that being, you know, kind of like a, um, a little bit of a cultural threat. It's the 800 pound cultural mm-hmm. gorilla. I just don't know what they're doing with a goose or turkey or whatever out two days before Christmas. It feels like an it's it's she's not looking at it like oh I can't wait it, it feels like an obligation. It's like it's something oh, that it she is. would she would yeah. rather be working on the case, but she's she's trying to keep up appearances and her daughter doesn't really care and mm-hmm. it's just kind of it's kind of sad. Um, should we get to Pete and Hank? There's a little Pete Hank business to yeah. talk about. All right. Uh, so Pete, Hank comes up trying probably to make amends. Found the uh, yeah. This is an apology. Pete's old skates and says, "Hey, this might be something Darwin might want to do. You know, you were a, a a demon on the ice when you were his age. Um, doesn't seem like Pete is really thrilled about it. Um, 
but he does try to fish a little bit more information out of his dad than out of he knows about the Navarro Danvers situation. And Hank pleads ignorant. Yeah, I'm not buying it. Yeah. He he knows more than he's letting on here. Um and I think Pete knows like Pete knows the score in this scene. He knows he may not know that his dad knows more than he's letting on, but with these ice skates, he knows that this is an apology. Yeah. It's you know, a shitty one because he's not actually going to say what he's sorry for or that he's sorry at all. He's just going to give him something that he hopes will will soothe the pain. Uh, there's also, they have dueling accusations. She says, if you don't get your hillbilly friends out of the search, I'll report you for negligence. And he says, well, I should report you for Miss Robinson, my son, which he gets hot coffee thrown in his face. Which, fair enough. That's a pretty... It's a pretty gross implication to throw with your son in the rink. You know, he's standing <laughs> standing right over there. Yeah, he knew he wouldn't get it. He's never yeah. seen the graduate. Again, Hank Hank has got some something he's holding over. We'll, we'll be getting more of that in a feedback. And then uh, Peter later on tries to get in bed all slick like. Like, uh, when'd you go to bed last night, babe? Oh, when'd you go to bed? In the midnight? Oh, I came to bed at 12.15. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. Tries to do one of those, but he fucks up the the slide into bed, and he knocks over a lamp, wakes his wife up, wakes the baby up, and she decides it's probably, what, four or five in the morning? She's just going to say, fuck it, I'm going to get up early. Why go back to sleep? Uh, that's something only young people say. That's something only a young person would say. <laughs> fuck Especially no, go back. have multiple hours. Get another hour. Get another yeah. hour. Yeah, yeah. Try try doing that at 40, 47, 48. Maybe that's why we stopped having kids at that age because Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, go back to sleep, lady. Yeah. Uh, but I thought this was a really interesting conversation because, like, I didn't like the way she talked to Peter. Like, he's like, you know, you married a cop. And she's like, actually, I didn't. I married this guy who's like the sweet idiot. And he kind of is like, what mm-hmm. if I don't want to be a sweet idiot? And yeah. I kind of think about that. Every time I see someone like a woman talking about her like boyfriend or husband like golden retriever energy and I'm like I see what you're going with that and like I I I don't know if it's inherently offensive but it's kind of offensive. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be described as having golden retriever energy. No, you find that trait in that person endearing, but how do they view it? Do they yeah. want to be the lovable doofus? It's like if, like, back in the Mad Men days, if Don Draper pats Betty on the head and is like, I love you, you're such a ditzy blonde. Mm-hmm. You're such a... Like, that's not cool way to see... You know, if I love him because he's so gentle and he's so playful and he's so... But, like, he's just kind of like a like like a dog breed known for being kind of dumb and slob. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know. But he bristled at that because that's not what he... You know, he wants to be seen as a serious person, like I'm sure we all do. Um, yeah, and I mean, she is... What the point she's trying to make here is you've changed, right? Um, yeah. The guy I married is now turning into someone I don't recognize, and it's yeah. dismaying. Um, and she makes that point several ways here, but yeah, that's part of it. And although she critique, critique him, he's also making the classic dude mistake of like, oh, you're upset about this last thing, so I'll address this last thing, this big case. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, this has actually been a long-standing pattern of you putting Danvers in head of you me and our entire family it's coming to a head now and to make that point like as soon as he gets done with his fight with his wife he looks down and there's like you know a a bunch of all caps demand text from danvers in the middle of the night is the context of these things too yeah it's 3 30 in the morning your boss texts you at 3 30 in the morning you roll over and go back to sleep 
Yeah, yeah. So I was I was passed out, dead asleep, boss. Wasn't in subordination. Mm -hmm. Just you know, I'm yeah. Off you work. reply at seven thirty a.m. Yeah. Or if you're me, eleven thirty a.m. And <laughs> that's, crack that's when she's gonna get her response because I was asleep. I was unconscious when you texted yeah. me. Yeah. How dare as you? you should have known. Yeah. <laughs> I got two other things that I just wanted to bring up as like observations. One of the things that bothered me about Hank in this episode is I feel like he, well, okay, I know he's covering things up. I feel like he's also super sloppy. A, the hillbillies. I mean, that's just a sloppy move. But B, when he's talking to everybody and addressing them, uh, getting them ready to go out on this manhunt, he claims that that is a pink parka. Is that a pink parka? It is parka? a pink parka. Yes. I. It looks I... tan to me. It does, but if it's it's only the lighting because like every all the photos they need is clearly pink, and I think that the lighting is poor in the research station, or maybe it was a black and white photo. But I, it is definitely a pink parka. Really, never have I seen a picture of that and been like, oh, that's pink. It's very light faded pink. It's not like a hot pink or a bubblegum pink. It's or it might have been, but it's like 10, 20 years old. It's it's a very faded, very light tinted pink. Weird, because when they yeah. show the smiley face on the, the patch on it it doesn't look like that's discolored I know it looks like it's like a canvas material like it's a Carhartt color yeah yeah, yeah. that's what I assumed okay uh, I guess I'm just wrong about that alright one other silly thing what's the point after they get done with Oliver and they get the call uh, about Lund being awake what's the point of them turning on their siren and their lights it's police procedure baby Oh, they're just following. It's by the book driving. Okay. I mean, what what is the what is the thought? Because I saw this on I saw this on the Reddit too, and I'm like, is the thought that like if your population density falls below a certain level, you just just don't turn on lights and you don't do sirens and no, if it's perpetual night and yeah. anything that's going to come at you, you're going to see a mile away, like, and it's going to see you a mile away. Yeah, you flip on mm -hmm. your lights if you see something, but do you really need that blaring? The siren just blaring the whole drive? It would just annoy me. Is the me. siren blaring, or is it just because you can do the one without the other? You can do the well, lights. They play the, the siren sound okay, in the show, and I don't know if that's just you know meant to evoke a feeling or if that's actually happening in the scene. But so they're full yeah, of black sludge the water. They're full of black sludge water that she just put it on her hands. Yeah. It's gone right through. They're, they're acting irrationally. They're turning under cop lights and sirens irrationally. <laughs> the the pressure plummeted. Their ears popped, and they can't even hear the siren. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. They're like, turn up the siren. <laughs> it's dangerous. People need to hear us. Yeah. Anyway, now we can talk about the psychosphere. Don't be afraid of the dark. We'll be right back. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. 
Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-round movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is rewarding to itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. She's awake, and we're back. Here's more of The World We Deserve. Feedback section, truedetective at baldmove.com is how you send it in. Uh, before we get to feedback, I just want a one final reminder, because it'll be too late when we talk next Sunday. Doing our big annual Groundhog Day movie marathon this weekend, starting Friday at noon to sun- Saturday at noon. We're going to be watching all the Spider-Man theatrical releases. Yeah, that one too. Yep, that one too. Yes, all the Tobey Maguire's. Groundhog.baldmove.com is how you get more information. We're doing this to raise money for a charity we believe in, uh, Cure Al's Fund. It's uh, dedicated to finding research and treatment to the terrible Alzheimer's disease. It's really sick tie in the last season of True Detective. Mm, um, yeah. yeah, but if you, if you uh, want to help us do that and have some fun, it's going to be some prizes, some giveaways, some exclusive merch, groundhog.baldmove.com. Again, starting this Groundhog's Day. February 2nd, Friday at noon till Saturday at noon. Uh, you can also follow our social medias everywhere at Bald Move if you want to keep up with the other stuff we're doing. First up, True Detective at BaldMove.com, Laura said, in an interview with Vanity's Fair's podcast, the actor Finn Bennett, who plays Peter, noted three clues of importance that I found interesting. The first, he is discussing how he got COVID from Issa for their first interview for the show, and they joked that it's very keeping with the show's theme. Hmm. I can't help but think that affirms the theory that something's viral may have been unearthed in the ice. Possibly what they were testing Annie's tongue for? Or what's messing with the water of the people's health? I thought it's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's kind of the predominant theory that something with microbes or the water is poisoning everybody. 
if I was going to devil advocate, I would say that like Hollywood folks might joke about one of the false premises of the show being part of the, because it's like, you know, again, they're professional liars. It's what they do. They do it to entertain us. So, um, could be more of that, but yeah, that's interesting. The second is a pretty explicitly stated to pay attention to spirals and oranges. Again, in this interview with Vanity Fair, there's way too many spirals in both seasons for me to comment on those for now, but I've seen a few oranges in the opening credits, orange rolling down a road, a spiraled orange peel floating in water. Uh, I've also seen oranges later in a bowl on the table in the Salal station where he's prepping the sandwich. And then, of course, we saw a bunch of oranges this episode. Any thoughts on how that could come into play? The fact that this guy... Uh, Finn Bennett, the guy who plays Peter, called out to pay attention to oranges. I mean, how can this possibly pay off? (laughs) Uh, Is it a symptom of scurvy to go crazy and run out in the ice and expose yourself? Because, like, I, 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 symbolism, sure, but, like, pay attention? Yeah, when all you eat is Oreos, you don't get enough vitamin C. Sure. Your yeah. old wound, your teeth start to fall out. Your wo- your old wounds start to open up because the lack of vitamin C. Your collagen breaks down. I I don't know. Start seeing ghosts. I yeah. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to connect either. But I've seen several things in the credits because I I know they did some discussion about this in previous interviews where they said we've embedded a lot of hints, tons of hints into the intro sequence here, and some of those have already been important like you see an rv at some point or a trailer uh which we wouldn't have had context for two episodes ago but now we do um some of that stuff is coming into focus i don't know how the oranges will do uh in that in that whole thing but we'll see follow the oranges because they're Mm -hmm. as good as money up there uh also interesting to note peter eccleson in a later vanity fair podcast said to pay attention to everything and that all elements to solve it are there if you look closely he said there are no red herrings. He also said there's a potential what? spoiler and an act of emotional revenge from Connolly towards Danvers. This could be his shipping her off to Ennis, but also could be something he hasn't done yet. He's someone to watch as we go on for sure. Yeah, you don't hmm. you don't hire Christopher Eccleston to come in and bang Jodie Foster for five minutes an episode, and that's all you see him for. You know, he's right. uh, especially in HBO terms, he's well regarded. Um. The other thing is, like, I I do take all these actor interviews with a grain of salt. Like, a lot of times, mm-hmm. people are granting interviews when they've seen one fifth of this season script. Sure, you know. And also, like, Prister Eccles, does he love doing press? Does he would he relish an opportunity to fuck with the press by putting like sending him on a wild goose chase? I say yes, yes, and yes to all those questions. <laughs> <laughs> Except for him liking doing press, I might have fucked up the route. That might have been a no because it seems no, like, yes, yes. you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No red herrings. No red None. herrings. Like, it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a couple red herrings. Unless they're just right oh. on every path they go down, which isn't very true detective y. That's the thing I was amazed in season one. Of course, it had two more episodes. Maybe there's more time. But how many, like, false. Hmm. leads and rundowns that they took before they actually got to the actual thing that you know yeah so it's got to be some of that next up is kurt he says you guys mentioned you were fine with the jody foster casting in this week's pod but i feel like she's been horribly miscast she's mentioned in interviews she changed the role to an older woman it was originally written with a younger woman in mind 
character feels very promiscuous and using her sexuality to control all these guys would come naturally to her. This does not feel like the role for a 61-year-old who doesn't exactly exude sexuality or physicality. 61-year-old boinking the entire population of Ennis feels off. To each their own. That's what I'm I was going to say. I when I saw Jodie Foster all natural last episode, my first thought was good for you, Jodie Foster. You're keeping that shit tight for your wife. She looks pretty fucking good for a 61 year old. Yeah. And, and, and a, because yeah, she's keeping things tight, but B because she's aging naturally. And I, man, I can't tell you how much better that looks than people who try and prevent it at every yeah. turn. Although I will say that like there's no evidence that she's had no work done. It's just she might have had really good work done. Sure, and, maybe it's just and sparingly. Sparingly. And she obviously dyes her hair. It's not completely mm-hmm. natural, but yeah, mm-hmm. she's doing it more natural than I've seen a lot of people do it. Yeah. And I don't know. I like the idea of like a 61-year-old horn dog that's just like grinding through the town and Fairbanks and you know, she's trying to feel like she's obviously tried to make things work with relationships, but she's just like, you know, She's like ever like I I I think that I think Issa Lopez is intentionally trying to make these women very similar to their male protagonists. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like that's a trope of detective TV that the lead detectives are just pussy hounds and they're drunk mm-hmm. and they're violent and they lie to their family and they work too much. And you know, it's like it's a, it's a trope of true detective. I mean, the first yeah, like like something about seasons being a murder police is like acid to your soul. Like makes a lot you can of only, sense. Only see a tweaker put a baby in a microwave. If you're Marty's case one time, and that's what caused him to w- walk away from the force. Like it's like it's bad. It's all bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about in Ennis, Alaska, if that's necessarily as much or as true, but it's definitely I think a trope they're leaning into. So, but I did read that that like this role is supposed to be a younger woman and it's supposed to be a little bit more kind of like Marty Russ. Um, and then like Jodie Foster kind of changed it when she came came on, but like, yeah, like Jodie Foster wants to be the lead in your show. You say yes and you let her rewrite it to be an older cougar. (laughs) So, how do you score that with what Issa Lopez says about uh, always having envisioned Jodie Foster. Like, she envisioned this as a Silence of the Lambs kind of relationship, Dude. and she's always wanted Jodie Foster as the lead. There's been a multiple mutually contradictory ideas put out about this season, and I don't know what to make of it. Because I also, it yeah. was asserted as fact that this wasn't a true detective thing, that it HBO was its own thing, it and HBO wanted to do it, and then there was some kind of hasty connect- so connections to season one made because Issa Lopez thought that was interesting and is kind of trying to play ball. And but I, you know, I fuck, I don't know. Um, I will say that like that makes me less excited to pull at the threads of season one like ooh the Tuttles well if that's just she just like changed a couple nouns to kind of add some titillation and some interest and those are not going to like the main thrust of the season can't involve Louisiana and Carcosa and all that kind of stuff because it was just a different tale with the serial numbers kind of filed off and and replaced so I don't know Mm -hmm. I don't know what to make of it because like I said a lot of people have said Nick Palazzo's out there acting like a complete asshole have you seen any of that stuff where he's like (laughs) actively yeah, Matthew McConaughey will not show up and would never show up. He would never do. Like, he would never besmirch the show because you got your show taken away from you because you didn't get the rights to your show. Like, 
which is fair enough but you're listed yeah, you are getting paid on and like and like uh, this it's just such a it's just such a shitty thing to do to Issa lopez like if you want to be mad yeah. at the hbo executives but to like shit on the story she's trying to tell like it doesn't match up to your season one like by the way by the way your second season just sucked dude just fucking sucked <laughs> Sure. Let's 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 not act like everything was Rust and Marty in the, the whole run of True Detective, right? That was a mm-hmm. great first season. Also, also never quite got to those heights after Corey Fukunaga left, did you, bud? Did you? <laughs> never quite got to those home run levels, did you? And like, I, knew I just season like three was good. I like season three a lot, but yeah, that's yeah, and two. I. I was kind of like neutral on like, you know, it's like, yeah, that'd probably suck to get your show taken away and having someone else write it. But also it's the, you know, it's the way it happens with Hollywood. You're getting you're getting checks written. You were a known unknown nobody when you got this right. deal greenlit. But to go after to make the statements like he's tearing out Lopez is where I does not sit well with me. That's 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 that seems like Bush League shit. Yep. I'm with you. And I would love it for Matthew McConaughey to to make a cameo in the final in the final episode just to piss him off. That's yeah, yeah that would be funny. All right, Zach's up. He says, first, let me say I love it when Jim is on the case. For some reason, oh, I feel boy. like it's usually Aaron who leads the charge to Crazy Town, but I'm loving the shakeup. <laughs> I don't know whether to be offended by that, but you're the crazy one this season, Jim. So all right, I'm happy to be it. Uh, it's been bothering me how everyone froze. I know it's cold, but people don't stand in place to freeze to death, and I cannot imagine posing like that until they are dead. I know this isn't real and it's a drama, but whatever. There's also some evidence of a pressure drop with the busted eardrums, which led me to use the Guy Lussac's law to determine if a change in pressure could also change, cause a drastic change in temperature. You want the math and other details, assumptions? I can send it to you. No, no, I never, I never do. I never, never want any <laughs> Please, math. No. I, I last time I had to help my son through algebra two, I swore off it. Never again. Mm-hmm. But I will take you at your word. I tried to do the, long division the other day. Didn't go so well. <laughs> so no, I don't want the math. <laughs> uh, but the change in pressure required to go from a negative twenty celsius temperature which is your average in alaska town during a long night to 180 196 which would be liquid nitrogen the temperature required okay. to kind of like flash free someone yeah the t1000 um yeah. Mm-hmm. would be the equivalent to go from sea level one atmosphere to uh 6.2 miles in the air at 0.3 atmospheres which would be fairly shocking if it happened in an instant and would explain their faces now what natural phenomenon could achieve that pressure differential pulling a large sample out of an ice core all that air has to go somewhere there's a new void it's it pulls straight down from the atmosphere they drilled 6.2 miles i mean that's actually plausible it's like a hypodermic needle you know like you you, yeah it's like what causes like vortexes and uh, whirlpools and shit right like yeah again these ice cores seem so like so like they're in the ice tunnels that uh, Anna Kay was fucking around in, and someone's drilling into the ice core, and then they would then it just turns in, it just pulls it just pulls a big artificial vacuum in the cave. Yeah, that they're it all sucks. down there partying in for some reason. It, it, I mean, that's like, I I don't know. I mean, we see pressure drops, right? That's what causes like tornadoes and stuff. Yeah. So you get these wild pressure drops, but. Even then, that's extreme to cause a tornado. Uh, this seems Plus, way tornadoes more come from temper- massive temperature differentials hitting each other. I don't right. think you're getting that in the Arctic fucking circle. I don't think so either. 
Unless there was some kind of blast at the mine. I mean, maybe there, maybe the mine generated like a huge amount of heat. Hmm. I, but I, it's not very plausible. <laughs> Seems like an overpressure wave, if anything. But anyway, something the it's, it's interesting to know the math and like you know what the the numbers we're talking about here. That this is like pretty violent, exceptional event. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go over to Marcus, who says, I wanted to point out another nod to Carcosa in the original King in Yellow by Robert Chambers. After season one of True Detective, I got my hands on a copy of the King in Yellow, and I loved it. In the book is a song sung by one of the characters, Casilda. Uh, it says, strange is the night where black stars rise and strange moon circle through the skies, but stranger still is lost Carcosa. As soon as I heard Liz Danvers refer to the knife wounds on Annie Kay as star-shaped, and saw in the autopsy pictures how black the wounds themselves were. My eyeballs almost popped out of my head. Regardless of, of whether or not this... <laughs> yeah, true. Regardless of whether or not this is intentional, it's just another thing that someone who has read The King in Yellow might pick up on. However, I do wonder if the murder weapon isn't just going to be some conveniently star-shaped science instrument and maybe something more sinister uh, or more ritualistic. I also think that the rest of the poem itself, which talks about a long dark night in Carcosa where strange and evil things occur, fits with the rest of the setting of Night Country. Yeah, this takes me back when I, too, mm -hmm. got a copy of The King in Yellow to read for True Detective. Um, and just a reminder, that's about a that's a book about a play that if you see it performed or read the, the full, both acts of script, it, turn, it, it drives you insane. Um, but there's a lot of star imagery here, black stars, like the the long night. Um, it's interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I saw a lot of people were suggesting maybe it was some kind of ceremonial, traditional weapon or a piece of antler or horn. But I just can't think of anything that's star shaped. And if it's like, if there was a traditional kind of like native thing, like wouldn't they know about it? Wouldn't yeah. they be like, oh, that's a quid pro or whatever? <laughs> I'll just try to make mm -hmm. up language. That's a like, fish deboner, yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the traditional narwhal scoop. It's it's <laughs> I, I don't yeah. Like it's it's the same thing as like if it's a piece of mining equipment. Someone in town would be like, oh shit, that's the that's the ordy boner. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. Which is why we're speculating maybe it's a highly detailed scientific instrument. Right. Um, that's native the Clark to the have, station yeah. that only those eight guys that are secretive and keeping themselves would know. Yeah. yeah, now they're dead, so they can't identify it. Yeah. That would make some amount of sense, but and I still like I come back to like how Carcosa can this season be if it was a last minute addition a change to kind of just like oh go through the script and kind of put a few Tuttles and Childresses and spirals here. There. Yeah, I mean maybe that's it. Maybe Clark got a hold of the copy of King in Yellow and went insane and fashioned this homemade star shaped thing to kind of replicate some of the stories, uh, the black stars rising, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Madness is a strange thing. All right. L. Blue says, it's odd how Hank has the files and won't give them back, and it's oddly defiant towards Danvers. But I don't think they have had a previous relationship. I think the chief slot became vacated years ago, and Hank either was told or thought he was the person who would get the job and then Connolly banished Danvers of that role going right over Hank's head. As an acting chief before Danvers, Hank may have been the appropriate party to take files home. This would also explain why he casually gives direction to or speaks to the rest of the officers here and there. Well, he is a captain on the force. He is the highest rank of police under the chief. 
So he would have a lot of command. I think the way if those are the the way they do it in because uh, I have a little I have a lot more knowledge about the, how they do it in the fire division because my brother's a firefighter, but like the, a captain would essentially command an entire shift. Like you know you might have the day or the night shift or graveyard shift commanded by you'd have a couple of captains uh, and they would lead a group of dudes underneath the chief. So he's got a lot of power, but oh, he doesn't have more power captain, than her. Isn't it Captain Connolly or what is Connolly's official title? I don't know. He might, yeah, he might be a captain over a captain. there. But uh, under Wikipedia, he's listed as Captain uh, Hank, and she's Chief Liz, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Um, but I also like they might be do different things differently in different departments. Maybe some departments don't have a chief, and they just have a captain, or maybe some departments only have a chief and no captains because they're too small, or I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um. But he says when a new chief or CEO or whatever is hired from the outside, there's invariably an internal candidate who's passed over. That person generally needs to be retained for a period of time as he knows where the bodies are buried, so to speak. As an HR person, we refer to those types as popos, P-O-P-O, passed over and pissed off. (laughs) I think Hank is a po. He's a popos popo, it turns (laughs) out. He really is, uh uh-huh. Uh, usually if these popos are any good, they're up or out or, uh, as not getting the job means you're pretty much never going to get the job, uh, which means like, yeah, well, since they get passed mm-hmm. over, they either, they either turn into a malcontent cancerous shit or they get out and, and go find the job they actually think. Um, I think Hank hopes to torture Danvers out of the job and take over. Danvers likely kept him aboard due to a fondness for Pete, her only friend in the force. Um... Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you have a P, if you have a popo that's pissed off and passed over. Would you really keep him around just because you're friends with his kid? Yeah. Hmm. And he didn't steal the files. It keeps getting pointed out that there was no. a flood that he took them home to protect them. But it does feel like she's requested many times to get them back, and he's refused. There is a lot of insubordination there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right in your assessment of Hank. I, I understand why he would have some animosity toward Liz. Um, that Popo stuff makes a lot of sense. I don't know that the conclusion there that, or you know, the speculation um, that Danvers keeping him around due to a fondness for Pete is exactly accurate but uh it, it could be it could be yeah uh all right let's go over to john g who says i think the answer to the question answer to the question you've had all season why can hank get away with stuff that danvers should be able to call him on is something you answered in the instant talk yourselves oh okay uh, he says it's the mine he's the mines guy so no matter how many fuck-ups she he's had they can demote him and she can push him around a bit, but she can't fire him. And he can still get away with a lot because he's the mines man on the job. That's why he can have those files at his house. He didn't destroy them, so there's always plausible deniability, but he doesn't exactly have to give them back. Danvers knows the score. Without the mine, no town. And then she's not the police chief of anywhere. Any power she does execute has to be done carefully because of the power structures in town, and Hank is their guy. That sounds... That sounds right on. Uh, you know, he he's probably a popo, but he's also the mind guy. I like the blend of the theories. Yeah, yeah, that he's definitely a popo, but he's also the reason she can't get rid of a popo like you would 
is that the mind won't let it. And, you know, as he lays it all, like he's friendly, maybe overly friendly with the person who owns the mine. Uh, he's obstructed mm-hmm. investigations in the past. It seems like we're getting evidence. So, like, yeah, if if the person that employs 50% of the, the town and is the reason for the, the town's existence says, don't get rid of this guy, he's our guy, we need him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although yeah. I will say, it does, you're the chief of police. You could just be like, well, what the fuck? I'm going to fire this guy. What are you going to do? I'm the chief yeah. of police. Stop mining. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna bring me up on charges? Are you gonna accuse me of a crime? Are you gonna take me to court right. because are you but win there's that all case? kinds of pressure. There's all kinds of pressure that you can Sure. People have yeah. been murdered. There's always that possibility. <laughs> she thinks that's connected with mine. Yeah. Who knows? Uh Giovanna asks, are all the scenes with sunset or sunlight flashbacks? I could swear there was sunlight coming in the windows of the scene where Pete sneaks into bed with his wife, and then there's also the driving scene between Navarro and Danvers as sunlight but seems to be present day. What gives? I got an idea about this. You got you got anything? Um are hmm. I hadn't noticed it. So no. I I don't know. So most places, unless you're like at the tippy top of the Arctic Circle uh, of, of the the poles, mm-hmm. when we say they have like long nights, what we mean is the sun. Like you will have a few minutes or up to a half hour of like what you would call civil twilight, or you know, as the sun gets close, like you'll see like what it seems like dawn is breaking, and it just never happens. Mm-hmm. And uh. It's hard to say the Navarro flashback. It could it, it might have been during a different time of year, but I think I never saw it light outside, like daylight. It was always that kind of like weird blue green sky twilight kind of thing, and that mm-hmm. does happen. Like it could be for ten to thirty minutes a day, the sky gets a little light towards the east, and then it just the sun never just comes up. Yeah, I think that's what you're seeing. Makes sense. Um. But it could be, I don't know, it could be that getting sloppy and doing some day for night stuff too because I doubt that they actually filmed this. I know they didn't. They filmed this in Iceland, right? Mm-hmm. Probably not Which, during the coldest, darkest part of the year either. Yeah, if they were filming in Norway, I could see it, but hmm, I don't know about Iceland. Uh, all right, and finally we got Javier. Javier? That's not a misspelling of Javier. Spelled. Okay, Javier. Uh, I guarantee you, uh, I guarantee you, Liz and Evangeline had a relationship. First, Liz knew where the cans of soup go in Evangeline's house. That's a pretty intimate detail to know. Second, Liz asked Evangeline in the evidence room if Evangeline was still messing around with girls. That would explain the friction between the two of them. No pun intended. Uh, Yeah, we kind of talked about this already. Ask the question, Jim. Oh. Ask the uh, question. It's not... Okay, the wrong question is, did they have a relationship? The right question is, how... How fast can Navarro run? Hot. How hot was it? <laughs> oh, okay. No. No, I like. I mean, I will say, if I'm the prosecuting attorney here, this is circumstantial evidence at best. You gotta, you're oh, going to yeah. have to give me something more before I can press lesbian charges against these police officers, okay? <laughs> sure. You want me to throw the gay book at them? Mm-hmm. You know... Sentence him to gay jail. I want to need some. <laughs> I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need some more evidence than this. No, I, I. Yeah, it's like yeah, we've got like two things, and but like this is also, you know, these these are also things that uh, friends do. You know, like friends sure. ask yeah. you if you're like, if I knew you're bisexual, I might be like, hey, you seen any guys lately? You know, if I haven't seen you for a while. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if uh, yeah. you know, you and I used to you be probably roommates. know where the the cups are in my house. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. You and I used to be roommates. You probably have a good, better than most people uh, know, and where I keep the cans in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, I know uh, where your silverware is. Which drawer? Yeah. And to ev- and to the best of everyone's knowledge, we've never had sex. So. You know how how can, can how can how can anyone make the statement <laughs> about these people? They're just gal pals. They were just roommates. Okay, okay, it's true. it's true. Yeah, maybe maybe they bonded over watching action movies with dudes without their shirts and oiled up muscles, and <laughs> that's a thing that they celebrate <laughs> in their friendship every year. But that uh-huh. doesn't mean they slept together. Circumstantial, I say. Settle Circumstantial. down. Circumstantial. Settle down, Javier. Javier, <laughs> if that's your real name. Uh, like I that's said, though, to... it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We got uh, we got we got Gal Pal Watch 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, True Detective at is how you uh, let us know what kind of psycho sphere you're you're sniffing. Oh, uh, like mother, like daughter. I mean, her daughter's sleeping with women. It's oh yeah, yeah. Gay yeah. Jean is Where do you think she learned that? Huh? And it runs in the non-existent family. What? Where do you think she learned that? She learned it from watching. By Liz. watching you, yep. mom. I learned it by watching you. True Detective of BaldMove.com is how you send quality theories like that. Uh, you can follow us everywhere at BaldMove. And don't forget, Groundhog.BaldMove.com. Trying to raise a lot of money for the Curals folks. Uh, got a goal for twenty five thousand. We're setting this year, just uh, which is about what about ten percent more than we did last year. Uh, if yeah. you use your help, it's going to be a lot of fun. We always have a lot of fun. It's the uh, highlight of the year. Groundhog.baldmove.com will be on YouTube and Twitch from noon Friday to noon Saturday, February second through third. Uh, please join us. We'd love to have you. Uh, that's going to be it for this week. We will be doing the instant take this weekend. Mm-hmm. And we'll so. see you Sunday night. Uh, until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later.